Hello, this is Pastor Keeker from Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri. This is the third class of my current Sunday school class on the theology of Lutheran worship. And in particular, we are going to be looking at, eventually, uh, Holy Communion and the Eucharist. Thank you for listening in. May God bless you, and the Lord be with you always. Psalm 26. <clears throat> the Lord be with you. And also with you. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Lord, you know our ways. You know how often we have failed to walk in integrity. And you know the things that we love that are not of you. Lord, we constantly and day by day run after things with our feet and our hands that do not fill us up, that do not make us whole, that do not give us peace. But your word, you spoke it into our ears and you created in us a love for the place where your glory dwells. You brought us to your altar that we may go before it with exceeding joy and begin to love the things which you love, chiefly loving your presence and the place where your glory dwells. That where your word is heard and your presence, your son comes to be with us, We find grace, and we are filled up, and we rest. We are loved by you, and therefore it causes us to love one another. Lord, we pray that you would create in us a yearning desire to come to your house, to go before your altar, the place where your glory dwells, and to receive from you all that we need so that we may walk in integrity, our sins forgiven, eternal life ours by your grace, that we may rest and know that you are God, that we are your people. We give you thanks and praise for this, your house, and the altar here where you come to dwell amongst us. We worship you. For we love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. 
and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, Patty. Welcome. We are in our third class today on a Lutheran theology of worship. And this is the last class. My intention is this is the last class where we're kind of looking at the foundational views that Lutherans have of worship. From here and going forward up until Easter, Holy Week, so throughout all of Lent, we're going to primarily be talking about just one aspect of worship, which is Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper. And if this class goes how I want it to today, we will end there on the island that we're all sailing towards, that we will be planted firmly on um, the service of the sacrament, God's way of serving us um, in communion. So that's my plan. Hopefully we get there. So don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. <laughs> Please ask questions. Um, so we've been talking about a Lutheran theology of worship, and chiefly the teaching that worship is first and foremost God serving us in ways that we come and we receive from God what he comes to give us. Um, rest, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. So the, the ways in which God comes to give his people rest, there, there we see worship, um, true worship, which is founded upon not the whims of man or the heart of man or what man thinks or what man looks for, um, but upon God's word. What God says in his word is where we find rest. Um, so we kind of looked last week at, you know, what is it that we're looking for for this rest? Where are our eyes? Are we looking for things of man? No, men will fail you. Why put your trust in men and what they're doing or what they're saying? It's Rest is found in what God says, his word, law and gospel. Um, when God speaks there, rest is, is found, but also created. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. And we're like, well, how am I still? How can I be still? How, do, how can I rest? I, how do I do that? And it's, well, the Lord just spoke. Be still and know that I am God. And by his speaking, there is rest. The same way the world is created. Right? Let there be light. It's not like the world was like, well, how do we get light? What do I need to do? Do I need to get the right systems in place? Do I need to have you know, everything in order? Do I need to follow this, 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 and this? And no, God just says, let there be. And there is. And so the world receives the light, right? It rests in God's word and light's created. Same thing with every part of creation. Let there be birds and trees. And all of a sudden, there are birds and trees. It wasn't as if the birds were coming into the creation and thinking, now, how do we, how do we fly? And, and what do we need to do to live? And maybe we need to show God that we're 
ready to be created by following the right patterns. No, God simply speaks his word. And by that speaking, it's received. I mean, creation comes into existence. Beautiful birds fill the, fill the airs. Fish swarm the seas. And the same thing with man, right? God creates man with his word. And lo and behold, here's a man. And all of man's life in the garden is receiving from God his gifts to live. And so you have this beautiful picture that's founded on God's word. These are, these are foundational principles when it comes to how we see worship. So when we gather on Sunday mornings, we're embarking on this journey back to the garden, back to the ways where God speaks his word, creates life in us, and then we go out and we start what Adam names the animals. We do an art lesson, right? We dig up the soil. Well, hey, Adam actually does that. <laughs> we care for people. We're grandparents, mothers, and fathers. We, we go out and then we serve. And the Hebrew word in, in Genesis for serve, it's tied to priest, the priestly office, that, that what the priest does in worship is also what we do for one another, serving, serving. Service only comes from first being served by God. So God serves us first, and then filled with his life, we go out and serve one another. That's the flow. Rachel. Yes. You didn't say great. And on my parents' skin Very good. That's a great Bible passage. And it's great. We make sure which helps because we love our fellow man. Yes. Love your neighbor, but it's great to the eleven hour worker who is saved. Yes. It's all by God's grace. Yeah. It's by grace that God speaks. It's by God's grace that we are given life. It's by God's grace that we now go forth and and serve one another. And it all ties back to his grace. For we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man may boast. Right? Okay, so where I want to go today is uh, last class we ended with the scripture passages, God speaking, um, in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation 19, where the idea or the teaching, another theological foundation, is where's worship found? Another way to ask this is where's Jesus? Where's Jesus found? Where's worship found? When, where heaven and earth are. Right? Where Jesus is, there heaven is. Uh, heaven and earth colliding in Isaiah 6. Right? He has this vision of the temple and the angels around the throne and they're worshiping God in heaven, right? But yet they sing the whole earth is filled with your glory. Well, where are we? Are we in heaven or are we on earth? We're everywhere. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. Um, you know, in the same way in Revelation, which begins with, with Jesus who was, who is, who is to come. And then we're back around a throne with angels and archangels. And they're, they're serving the throne and they're crying out these 
prayers, just like the angels in Isaiah 6, Old Testament and New Testament. And the angel says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where are we? Are we in heaven or are we on earth? I mean, where do we participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb? Yeah, here on a Sunday in Clinton, Missouri, at Trinity Lutheran Church, we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's going on in Revelation 19? In heaven, they're celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're going to take a look at that today. Um, One additional thought before we jump into um, heaven and earth colliding today. The idea of rest. Um, I think this is a very important um, topic for today, uh, rest, and seeing worship first as a place of rest. So one Sunday morning back in college, me and my buddies, we went to three different church services on one Sunday. It was me and my two best friends. All three of us kind of came from different denominations. So we decided, you know, here we are, the Wolf Pack. We're going we're gonna to go to a Lutheran service. We're going to go to a, a non-denominational service. And we're going to go to this uh, Baptist service. So all three of us, we, we go to three different services all in Springfield on a Sunday morning. And um, I remember going out to coffee after three church services. And we're in Starbucks, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting at this table with my two buds. We got our Bibles opened. We're talking about all that we heard that day, and we are having just the best of time. I'm having the best of times. I am laughing. I am loving every question, every discussion. We're just having a good time. So uh, there was this lady who's sitting pretty close by and she gets up you know after we had been there for maybe 20 minutes talking and she gets up and she says something to me looks me right in the eye and says something to me and I just say thank you God bless you too you know as she's going out the door thank you God bless you too and my two friends are staring at me with their mouths wide open like this looking at me and I'm like, uh-oh. Starting to have this self-realization that I, I didn't even know what she just said. But I did something really dumb. They're like, did you not hear what she just said to you? And I was like, nope. <laughs> uh, what did she say? And she, they go, uh, my friend to my right, he goes, she told you, shut up. Your joy is killing me. And I said, thank you. God bless you. (laughs) Still not a bad response. (laughs) Still not a bad response. And out the door she went. She was genuinely offended. And I was in this whole other world where in my world, no one would ever say anything mean to you. Everyone loves you. Of course, she was just coming to say, hello, dear Christian. I love the Lord, too. You know, I'm like... Thank you, God bless you. And my friends are like, for me, if you go to three church services, 
When you're in such a place of rest, with peace with God, you therefore have peace with one another. It's inevitable. Peace with God creates peace with one another so that even when someone comes up and they are drilling into you, you're like, I love you. This is the Lord, right? Takes the nails, Father, forgive them. When worship is the place where one finds rest, peace with God, it changes how you live. Um, I'll get to you, Rachel, I promise. Don't let me forget, Brian. (laughs) Um, Joseph Pieper, he was a German philosopher in the 1940s, um, was a pastor or priest. I'm not recalling his denominational bend. Don't hold me to it, but I think he was Catholic. But he writes a book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, and as he's standing there on the rubble of Germany. It's been decimated by World War II. I mean, everything's fallen apart. The war had obliterated everything. And um, he's standing there, and you have all these Germans, Timothy. I don't know if you know this crowd, but they're ready to get to work, right? They're ready to start building up society, civilization again. We got buildings to build. We have schools to create. Let's get to work. Uh, that hard German work ethic. And Joseph Pieper was the man who stood upon the rubble of Germany and said, you know, the first thing that we should do isn't work. The first thing that we should do is rest and experience leisure. Resting. Um, And he writes this whole book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture, and I highly recommend it. And it's one that I keep returning to because it keeps challenging me on the ways that I see life and also the ways that I see worship. Um, We have to rest. It's, It's like this. God created the body. Even if you're a workaholic, you're, you know, you're a German work ethic person, your body still has to rest and receive leisure. God designed it in a way where you still have to eat food and you still have to sleep. And those are periods of leisure. Receiving, your body's receiving. It needs needs to be filled up. It needs to rest so that you can then go work. So if our bodies are designed that way, you have to experience leisure, rest, celebration, um, that which is received. So are our souls. Our souls are meant to rest in the arms of our Lord. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So if worship is not first and foremost the place where Jesus is giving you rest, then you need to take a very hard look at the worship that you are doing. Um... Because when man inserts himself into those areas and it all becomes about what man is doing, where their hands are, where their hands aren't, how they're saying the words, if they're singing or chanting or speaking them, what they're wearing, if you're focused on those external things and not the word, the word of God, which is what creates rest, then you're going to walk away not restful. You're going to be bent out of shape. 
with all the external things going on all the time. That's not the place of our rest. The place of rest for Lutherans is wherever the word of God is. Where that word is preached, my soul needs that word. Whether you say it, you chant it, you sing it, you hold it out for 10 seconds, you go through it real quick, I need that word. My soul needs that word to live. My children need that word to live. Please preach the word. Sing the word. Chant the word. Say the word. I don't care. Just give me the word. Right? That's what we need to rest. Everything else about man, it's the work, 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 right? How do we do this better? How do we preach the word better? Well, these are good conversations to have, but at the end of the day, the word is what needs to be lifted up. Rachel, I said I'd get back to you. Okay. I had a roommate that was Latino plus bilingual. Oh, okay. And I provided for her as much as I could. And like I said, when I left the city, I did not look back because I did not want to turn into salt. <laughs> You talk about receiving rest from the Lord. What's the perfect picture of that? Uh, for me, it's the, it's the altar rail. It's, it's communion. Um, you know, people, I've heard mothers complain that their children's hands are dirty. You know, when they come up for communion, I can't believe my child's hands were dirty. And, you know, I kind of like that because it's a great picture to me. It's like, well, they're out working, and here, here the hands are dirty, bruised, bloody, you know, uh, worn and weary, and Jesus is laid into them. And that moment of rest, that moment of receiving the Lord's word, um, to me, that's a beautiful picture of leisure. And it's not just a picture, it actually is. God's way of serving us. And so for me, the, the most beautiful picture of, of rest is coming up, to the, coming up to the altar, the place of the glory of the Lord, and, and putting your hands forth and receiving Christ crucified for you. And so Dr. Justy talks about this moment. Um, that when you're up at the rail, or we don't have a rail, I keep saying the rail, kick out my upbringing. When you're up at the, what do you call it when you don't have a rail? <laughs> at the table, thank you, Brian. When you're up at the table and you're gathered with, you know, you go up there with your family. Um, as Lutherans, we believe by faith that you're not just there with the people around you in the flesh that you're actually, heaven and earth is colliding in that moment, and the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven is there with us in that moment, including those who have died in the faith, who have gone before you. So, you know, my, my pastor put it this way whenever I was going through confirmation class, and it stuck with me. He said, when you sing the Sanctus, What's the Sanctus? Holy, holy, holy. Right, the same Isaiah 6 words that the angels are singing before the Lord. 
the whole earth is filled with your glory. The same words the angels and then the archangels are singing in the scriptures. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The same words that the disciples and those people in Jerusalem sang while the Lord comes walking in their midst on the back, riding in on a colt, a donkey. You are joining in with the saints in heaven as you sing those words. And so he told me, when you sing those words, you better sing them loud because your grandfather's singing them with you. That moment where I'm joined, not just with the people around me in the flesh, but, but, with, but with all the saints of heaven, even those who have died in the faith, my grandfather, he's there with me around the table. We believe this as Lutherans. We say it in our liturgy, right, right before, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. This is not just something that we're thinking about. It's something we believe. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the angels are amongst you in your worship. Right? There's a lot more gathered with us up, upstairs than what we realize. Dr. Just writes this article to this effect. We're going to take a look at it. Does everyone have one? Did I give one to everyone? The theological education I received, so he's a professor at our uh, seminary over in Fort Wayne. In the late 1970s was excellent, but the one thing they could not teach me at the seminary was how much people suffered and how much they grieved at the loss of a loved one. In my first parish, I ministered to my family after a tragic death and to the saints in our congregation who suffered from a death in their family. I learned to interpret people's suffering and grief through the sufferings of Christ. This much I know is true, entering the suffering and grief of others, helping them to carry their sorrow in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel, comes from walking alongside people and bearing witness to them of the hope that we have in Christ. Those who grieve long to be with their loved ones, whose absence fills their empty house with loneliness. They feel hopeless about a future without father or mother, wife or husband, or perhaps worst of all, the pain of a future without a young child who is tragically snatched from them by death. Administering to a young family whose 13-year-old son was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer, I learned the hard way what to say and what not to say to grieving parents. During his surgeries and treatments, I helped them endure his sufferings and theirs, speaking to them about how their son was participating in Christ's sufferings through the Lord's Supper. This young boy seemed to understand this better than his parents. He came to long for Holy Communion, receiving it with tears of joy, knowing his suffering body was now eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ who suffered for him. When I called Holy Communion the medicine of immortality, he understood this better than I. As death drew near, he wanted only to see his parents and me, and he wanted the healing he felt from the Lord's Supper every day, knowing he was going to die soon. After his death, I accompanied his parents to the funeral home and watched them dissolve in grief as they picked out a casket for their young son. Only as I embraced them in that room full of caskets did I learn that they had never been to a funeral home or a funeral service. During those first days after their son's death, they sleepwalked through the whole ordeal, lost and unsure how to deal with the pain or the numbness they were feeling. They did not even know how to describe the grief and emptiness they were experiencing. At the funeral, I preached a sermon that proclaimed that their young son was with Christ, that his suffering was over, 
that he was at peace. I described how Christ's suffering had been a comfort to their son, especially toward the end of his life and as he participated in Christ's suffering through his reception of the body and blood of Christ, who suffered and died for him. Now they could look forward to the resurrection of the body when they would see their son again, who would rise with his body, the same body they knew, but now made new, a body that had overcome suffering by its communion with the suffering and resurrected body of Jesus. After the funeral, his father came to me to thank me for all that I had done for them over the many months we spent together during his son's illness up until the moment he died. But then he spoke words to me no pastor ever wants to hear, that my sermon gave him no comfort because his son should not be with Christ but should be here with him, playing baseball, laughing, studying, and preparing for the great future that lay before him. He was not angry, just enormously sad at the unfairness of it all. As I listened to his hard words, I did not know what to say, because he was right. It was not fair. His son should be here now, and not in some eternal life that had no concrete meaning to him on this day of his young son's funeral. I remember leaving for home, devastated by his words. To this day, I'm not sure what led me to go back to him and say what I said. But it was the day that I discovered the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven that have shaped my ministry and my teaching for the last 38 years. Your son, I said to him, is with Christ. And wherever Christ is, there is heaven with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. I tried to explain to him the meaning of that part of the liturgy, though I myself was only beginning to grasp its full meaning for the first time. His son was now with Christ. When we gather together in our worship here below in holy communion with the flesh of Jesus in our liturgy, Christ is present, and with him are the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, including his Son. I encouraged him to come to worship the next Sunday, to sing the Sanctus with the saints in our congregation as our voices join the heavenly choir above, to kneel at the altar and to receive the body and blood of Christ, and in doing so be joined in heaven here on earth with Christ and all the saints. The worship of the Lamb in heaven revolves around the same Christ we worship in our church's liturgy. Heaven and earth are not separated by an iron curtain. Both worship the Lamb who was slain and raised again. Those grieving parents came to church that first Sunday after their son's death. They received Holy Communion with many tears, but they were not alone in crying tears of grief. The entire congregation was caught up in grief seeing them kneel and receive Christ's body and blood. As this young father hugged me after the service, he said that in receiving Holy Communion with Christ in the heavenly community of saints and angels, he felt comfort for the first time since he knew that he would lose his son. His son was with Christ, and Christ was here today and all, with all the saints. And this, he said, gave him a peace, shalom, rest, that passes all understanding. His words were the sweetest words a pastor could hear. Over the last 38 years, I've shared this story in many congregations, and people always come to me afterwards to say they never knew that about Holy Communion. It was the most wonderful good news that they could possibly hear, giving them great comfort in the midst of their own grief over the loss of a loved one. Today, we look forward to that day when our worship and the worship of the angels will merge as the suffering church joins the church triumphant at the marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom that knows no end. But as we wait, we remember that even now the feast is ongoing with angels and archangels in all the company of heaven.
were you aware that this is true? That at communion, you are gathered with the saints, the angels, all the archangels, all the company of heaven. Not really. It's interesting because the church has been forming you to believe that. The church forms you through her liturgy in the prayers that we pray every Sunday with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. What's the church trying to teach? All the company of heaven is here in this moment. We're gathered with the saints around the Lamb. Um, she's the church, the, our mother. She is trying by her worship to form your faith, to see much more than what your eyes see. That it's not just about me, but all the company of heaven is here. Um, so I want to look at the service of the sacrament in our hymnal today. And and the way that the liturgy has been formed to, uh, to teach this. Because I, I hear this a lot, Patty, from, uh, you're definitely not the only one. It's like, I didn't know that that was even, is that really what's going on? You know? I don't thought it that way. Because it talks about the angels and heavenly hosts. I didn't put together that all the previous saints. Yes. I never knew that. I never got taught that. Ah, so we're going to, well, that's why we're going through class together, Dave. One Sunday a month when I grew up, it wasn't until about the mid-80s they started to talk about increasing it. Yeah. So before that, the old hymn, well, you didn't do it. Yeah, and probably your grandfather would have had it less than once a month. Yeah. So when, we'll talk about it, but when Lutherans came over to America, Lutherans always had communion every Sunday. We did up until like 1812. We'll look at the history. But when we came over to America, our practice completely changed, and we'll talk about why. But then over the last 180 years, we've gradually stepped back towards what the church had always done, receiving it every time they gathered. Um, so it doesn't, so once a month, you grew up once a month. Until about the mid 80s. Mid 80s, and then it became every other week or twice every a month. Week, and then- about 10, 15 years later, we added the fifth Sunday. Yep. And now you've added the special hall of feasts. We never did those before either. Yeah, yeah. And now if you look at it, and we'll, we're going to get into that book. Oh, I forgot to bring it. But now it's like 50% of LCMS churches have communion every Sunday. And so we're Maybe moving. Large churches, that mean every service or just offer one service? He, he breaks it down. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll take a look at it. But let's look at... Service of the sacrament. But before we even get there, we sing a song at the beginning of the service called This is the Feast. And in that song, we sing these words about this feast, blessing, honor, glory, and might be to God forever and ever. Um, so if you flip back actually for just a second and you look at page 155, this is the feast. You'll see that in every part of our liturgy, um, in the hymnal, there's always Bible passages, right? So everything that we are saying in the church service, whether we're singing it or saying it, it's scripture. We're saying, we're, our whole service is God's word. And in the hymnal, 
there, you have those nice little Bible passages which show you exactly where in the Bible this song or these words are coming from. So, for instance, uh, this is the feast. What's the scripture passage it says that song comes from? Revelation 5, 12 through 13. I'll read it. This is the lamb around his throne, right? I looked, I heard around the throne and the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So a lot of people when we worship, a lot of uh, created beings, I should say, not people. Saying what with a loud voice? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Right? What do we sing in this is the feast? Worthy is Christ the lamb who was slain. Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, blessing, glory are his. We're singing the same words of scripture. Look at Revelation chapter uh, 4, verses 6 through 11. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So already at the beginning of the service, we're singing the same song in Revelation. It was four. Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. It says 19 here. And then uh, Revelation 19. Let's look at that one too. Revelation 19, 5 through 9. From the throne, so it's always gathered around a throne, and there's always angels and archangels, these elders, these living creatures. One day we'll see them with our eyes, but right now we believe that they are among us by faith. This is all by faith. It's all by faith. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Revelation 19. Okay, so that's at the forefront of our service. We're already singing, you know, this is the feast. Catchy tune, but it's the words that matter. The same words around the throne. It's leading us to, and then we go to the service of the sacrament. Let's go there, and we got a few minutes. We can take at least a few. Yeah, David. Why is the other one glory and excelsis good too? 
Yeah, so that one, uh, the angels sing too, but they sing it, um, Jesus' birth. And again, it's the same, same thing. Where Jesus is, they're heaven and earth worship. <clears throat> so even there, that's a good song to sing because you like the glory. In it. Yeah, it's from scripture too. And it's like the songs that are sung when heaven and earth are colliding, which for us, the, the incarnation is heaven and earth colliding. When did heaven come down to earth? When Jesus was born. <laughs> we believe that by faith. And when that moment happened, the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven sung the song. What did they sing? Glory to God in the highest. Peace to his people on earth. I mean, when you are filled up with God's peace, you cannot help but be filled with peace for one another. So that when someone tells you to shut up, you say, God bless you. you know? <laughs> oh, sorry. Like, I didn't mean to. I, I felt devastated when they told me what she had said because I realized that what I'd said only hurt her more. Um, but yeah, David, that also is a song that can be sung. I don't know. I think I had angered or Patty. I don't know. I hope I can see her again and I can apologize for my joy. <laughs> but I had been to three church services that day, so you know I was I was filled up. They had they had done the word had done its work. Um, so in the service of the sacrament, we'll just look at the first few things here. So again, the whole divine service has set up God serving us in two ways. First, the service of the word. So we hear the Old Testament reading, God's word, the epistle reading, God's word, the gospel reading, God's word. We hear a sermon, uh, God's word being proclaimed, God serving us, pouring into us, and we receive and we're filled up by that word that causes us to rest. And then the second part of the service is God's service of the sacrament. Now he's coming to serve you at his table. Um, and so we begin with these words, you know, the Lord be with you, also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them to the Lord. 2 Timothy 4.22, Colossians 3, Psalm 136. We're quoting scripture back and forth. Our whole service is God's word, right? And then we get this prayer. It is truly good rites and salutary that we should what? In all times and in all places give thanks to you, right? Everywhere we go is a worship to the Lord. But here, what? Here at this altar, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. The church has prayed this prayer for 1900 years, this proper preface prayer. Um, we're f the church is forming us to believe what is actually happening here. The angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, what? We laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, and what do we sing? Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And why do we sing those words? Because in Isaiah 6, the angels sing those words. Because in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, the people sing those words. And so here on in 2021 in Clinton, Missouri, the saints sing those words. And on the last day when Christ comes again, we're going to sing those words. I mean, God's word never fails, right? The word of the Lord endures forever. He was, he is, he is to come. We are joining in with the voices, not just of our grandparents, but also all those who have gone before us in the faith and all those who will come after us in the faith. 
this great mystical experience, the whole bride of Christ, um, all Christians around the world who are celebrating the supper, we are gathered together with them.